Well, it's a, an exciting time of year for those of us who enjoy following professional sports. So, as of last night, the Major League Baseball Fall Classic has been set in stone. So, sorry if that's a spoiler for some of you. Uh, the World Series starts on Tuesday. I know some of you are really excited uh, that Cleveland has gotten back to the World Series after almost 20 years, but think about Cubs fans, right? It's been over 100 years since they've won a World Series championship. It's been over 60 years since they were actually to the World Series, so that city's in euphoria right now, and we'll see what happens, right? May the best team win. Uh, And while baseball nears the end of its grueling 180-190 game season, uh, for those of us, for those that make it to the World Series, uh, hockey has just started up. So in in my home, uh, we are regularly watching the Washington Capitals as they uh, try to match last season, where they led the entire NHL in wins. So I think they will do that. I'm a good fan. Um, The NBA will kick off, I think, on Tuesday as well, Uh, and we'll see if Golden State is really the super team that everybody is saying they're going to be. And last but not least, we're almost halfway through the NFL season, right? It won't be long until we're getting the queso and guacamole ready for Super Bowl parties. And and even for those of us who just don't know anything about what I just said and don't follow professional sports, we, we see sports activities all around us in Loudoun County, right? Bumper stickers, t-shirts, they promote various high school teams, uh, sports clubs throughout the area. Some of you are involved in those things. So we got in Loudoun County soccer teams, we got rugby clubs, we got cricket, we got cricket. Uh, And these things make me excited. So I'm a sports fan. I enjoy watching all kinds of sports. I enjoy watching golf. Uh, And while it's it's exciting to watch games and kind of get involved in the competition, the one thing uh, that continues to impress me as I follow sports, whether pro or amateur, is the commitment that athletes have to their spiritual, or not their spiritual, I just gave it away, uh, their physical fitness, (laughs) their physical health physical health. Uh, so my wife and I recently uh, watched some preview footage of the Caps as they got ready for the, the hockey season. And uh, the physical workouts and, and regimen that they put themselves through is just incredible. Um, so I enjoy watching all that from my couch. Uh, but I'm still, I still have a lot of respect for uh, the health, the stamina that these players uh, work on so they can excel in their sport. In all of these various sports, even baseball, even golf, believe it or not, we can talk about that later, uh, the fitness and health of the body, uh, the physical body, is, is essential. So one strain, one bruise, and everything's in jeopardy all of a sudden, right? Everything's affected. Well, today, uh, we're going to think about health, about fitness, about uh, the body, but not, as I said before, uh, not the physical body. That's for another sermon, perhaps. Uh, this morning, we're going to see that the Bible, and we're going to see again something we've already seen in Ephesians, the Bible talks about the church in terms of a body. It says the body uh, of Christ is the church. The church is the body of Christ. It's an, it's an illustration that shows how uh, we who are Christians have been joined to Christ. It says he is the head of the body. So we've been united to him by faith. Uh, and the result is that we've been joined to all the other members of the body as well. All the other members of the body of Christ. We're now God's adopted sons and daughters. We have a new family. And we've um, been part of what God has done as he's made this new people, this new community of the church. And as members of this united body then, uh, we have a great responsibility to build it up. To build up the church in fitness, in health, in spiritual maturity. 
So let's turn to Ephesians. You can turn with me there. We're back in this book and we've reached the midpoint of the letter. So if you don't have a Bible uh, this morning, uh, you don't have one that uh, you can read easily at home, just be aware that we have Bibles out in the Connect table that are for you. So grab one or two on your way out. Those are our gift to you. If you do have a Bible, but you're not used to looking at a Bible, uh, don't worry. Uh, Ephesians is towards the end of the Bible, so just start flipping back towards the end. You, you might see books like Romans and Corinthians. Just look right after that, and you'll find Ephesians. And we'll be looking this morning at chapter 4. So if you find Ephesians, you can find a big number 4. And that's the, the section we'll be talking about this morning. Uh, Ephesians, as a way of reminder for us uh, who have been studying through this, Ephesians is a letter written about 2,000 years ago to a group of churches uh, by a man named Paul, who was a, a missionary to the early church. And in the first part of the letter, so the part that we've been working through as a church, chapters 1 through 3, uh, Paul lays out for us what it means to be a Christian. So what it means to be united to Christ by faith. And then over the past, uh, uh, over the next three chapters, chapters four through six, he starts talking about what it means to live like a Christian. Uh, this is the, kind of how he concludes his letter. He transitions from the indicative uh, to the imperative, from statements of truth uh, to commands about how to respond to that truth. So the gospel for Paul is not something we just acknowledge to be true. It has everything to do with how we live. So this morning we're going to consider the first half of that chapter 4, the first 16 verses. And and we're going to see how the gospel would have us live, particularly as a church. So let's read our passage and then we'll consider it together. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
All right, well, there's the passage. Let's, let's look at three things in this passage together this morning. Uh, first, let's look at the unity of the church, and then the diversity of the church, and then the building up of the church. So unity, uh, diversity, and building up. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would help us understand this in a more deep way this morning as a church. That we would consider these things and he'd be working in us the unity and the peace that we're reading about here. So first, the the unity of the church. You can look there again at verse 1. So, Paul thinks back to what he has written. Uh, He thinks back to the unity that Jews and Gentiles now have in Christ. uh, To this new community of the church that if you've been with us, we've been talking about. Uh, the, the peace that we now have with God through Christ and the peace that we now have with other Christians in Christ. And in light of all of that, he, he sends out a plea to the church. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So, all three of those chapters that were just filled with great teaching about God and about the church... Paul's not bringing that all to bear on the life of us as Christians, on our life together as a church. And he says, walk out your calling. So you are united to Christ. You've been made alive together with Christ. You've been united to the church. Uh, You're showing the manifold wisdom of God to the world. So walk in that. But how should we walk in that? Well, verse 2, he says, walk... With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See, see, Paul has been describing how Jesus has created us new in him and united us to himself. And in doing so, Jesus has remade each of us so that we now have a desire to love others as he has loved us. Uh, The gospel empowers us to live in this way. Uh, Jesus shows us how to live in this way. He has set an example for us. So, just think about it. Jesus, uh, who humbled himself and descended to earth to die for his people, now calls us to be humble. To walk humbly with one another. Jesus, who gently corrected his followers and cared for the outcasts and sinners around him, now calls us to gently walk with each other. Uh, Jesus, who patiently loved his people, now calls us to patience with one another. Jesus, who bore with his disciples in love, even when they were so weak and so foolish, now calls us to bear with one another in all our weaknesses and all our foolishnesses. Jesus, who is our peace, right, who broke down that dividing wall of hostility at the end of chapter 2, now calls us to, to live at peace with one another. So we're united to Christ by faith. Our, our identity has been wrapped up with him. Uh, we are God's sons, and we have a new identity. And, and that identity means that we will live differently. We're going to live out that identity. We're going to mature more and more in the love of Christ. And we're going to be eager to maintain the unity that's been given us by the Spirit. Uh, to seek to live in light of it. To make it visible to the watching world. But Paul doesn't stop there, right? He, he goes on in verse 4 to remind us uh, of the truth about God. 
really the foundation, the reason we have any unity at all. So verse 4, he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So Paul shows us the bedrock of our unity, and it's God, is the truth about God himself. He says that we have one God and Father, we have one Lord, meaning Christ, and we have one Spirit. So, last week we spent a little bit of time uh, at the end of chapter 3 thinking about how Paul is, is so explicitly Trinitarian in his understanding of God and how God has saved us. So, that word Trinity uh, is the word Christians have used uh, over two millennia to describe who God is. Uh, how God has eternally existed and will continue to exist forever in three distinct persons, so Father, Son, and Spirit. And so we have the word Trinity, tri-unity, right? The unity of three persons in one Godhead. And as Paul has been writing about the gospel and how we're saved through that, he just naturally speaks of God's work in us in, in light of who God is in three persons, So in God, in his work, he's perfectly united. He's perfectly at order. Uh, The roles of the Godhead work together perfectly to save us. So let's think about that a little bit more in depth uh, just for the next few minutes. So so think about God the Father, the the first person of the Trinity. So back in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul praised God the Father and said that he chose us in Christ before the world started. That he chose us to be his adopted sons and daughters. And that he did this all according to the purpose of his will. And then at the end of chapter 1, Paul went on to show us how God the Father is the one who works toward us with just great power. uh, The kind of power that he worked uh, in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And then in chapter 2, Paul showed that we were dead in our sins, apart from Christ. But God, the Father, had mercy on us. And he loved us so much that he sent his Son. He made us alive together with Christ. And then in chapter 3, Paul talked about God's great plan. And he just marveled at God's wisdom and eternal purpose. And so, so far in Ephesians, we've seen God the Father's role in our salvation. And it is that he is the one who, before time existed, planned to save his people and bring us to himself. Now think about God the Son, second person of the Trinity. Back in chapter 1, Paul said just an astonishing thing. He said that in Christ, uh, we have every spiritual blessing. That's true because we're united to him in faith. So God the Father has joined us to his Son, and through his Son's death on the cross, he has forgiven us our sins if we repent and trust in him. So God's plan, God the Father's plan to save, climaxes in his purpose to unite all things in Christ. That's what chapter 1 says. Chapter 2. Uh, We saw how, as Jesus has risen to life, so we are now given spiritual new life. And we reign together with Christ. At the end of chapter 2, we saw how Jesus' death made it possible for both Jew and Gentile to come to God, to be made right with him. How the cross destroyed the divisions that existed between sinners and God, and sinners and other sinners. Uh, Jesus in the cross has brought us both vertical peace with God and horizontal peace with others. Chapter 3, Paul prayed that we might know the love of Christ. 
And so we've seen in Ephesians thus far that Jesus came to accomplish God the Father's plan to save us. And then finally, think about God the Holy Spirit. Back in chapter 1, again, Paul spoke of an inheritance that Christians have. A great hope that's in store for us. And he said that we have a guarantee that that's coming. We have a guarantee that we have hope and it's coming. And what is the guarantee? It's the Holy Spirit's presence with us. He says the Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. The whole thing is coming, but for now we have the Spirit's presence with us as a guarantee that Jesus will come back and he'll bring us to himself. At the end of chapter 1, Paul prayed that God would give his Spirit to his people, that we might know him better. In chapter 2, Paul declared that now both Jew and Gentile have access to God the Father in one Spirit, and that the church is a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And then last week in chapter 3, we saw how Paul prayed for the church. He prayed that we would be strengthened with power through the Spirit. And so what have we seen of the Trinity, the triunity so far in Ephesians? We've seen that God the Father planned, Jesus the Son accomplished, and now the Holy Spirit applies to every single believer the gospel. God works in tandem perfectly to save us, to bring us to himself. And Paul roots our identity as a church in that God. Our unity as the body of Christ is rooted in a unified, triune God. That God has existed forever in perfect unity, in perfect relationship as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And he has carried out perfectly a plan to save us and unite us together. So our unity is firmly established in God's unity. This God has made us one body through his spirit. He has given us one hope, one faith, one baptism through his son. We are united in truth about God. And that truth never changes because God never changes. And so our our unity is immovable when it's rooted in God. So brothers and sisters, at the risk of repeating what I've probably said in a few sermons so far um, in this series... This should remind us once more that our doctrine, so what we believe about God in the Bible, is extremely important to our love and unity. So Christians nowadays are often skeptical about deep theological belief systems, right? So truth and then rock-hard confidence in the truth will lead us to division, and that's not good. So it's dangerous to put too much stock in what we believe about the Bible and and let that separate us from people that just need to be loved. Right? Jesus is the one thing we can agree on, and he's he's love. So ultimately, love will unify. The Beatles were right. Right? All you need is love. But but friends, I think as as you follow that line of thought, you'll find that the unity that develops is extremely fragile and temporary. So as we try to say less and less about God and more and more about love, our love will become weak and spongy. It'll be without any kind of substance or base. And when suffering comes, that kind of unity will just quickly dissipate. Unity, though, that is based on God and God's character. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Christ, one spirit. That unity will stand so the church that thinks great thoughts about God will root its unity in Him, not in, not in programs, not in any sort of conception of Jesus that feels right to us. 
This truth is what will anchor our unity. It will motivate our love for each other. That's why we spent time earlier in the service confessing the Nicene Creed together, right? Those words were written over 1,600 years ago. And they were written to defend the truth, or defend the truth of the gospel against those who would try to distort it. They were words meant to protect the church's unity against false teaching that would threaten to to, to divide it, to tear it apart. So the Nicene Creed was written to unify God's people in the truth about God. And it's this truth that grounds our unity. So, uh, as we said before in the announcements, if you've been coming along to, to LVBC and you're thinking about maybe becoming a member or thinking about what that would mean, um, you're invited to our next new members class on December 3rd, and we're going to spend the bulk of those three hours talking about what we believe, talking about our church's statement of faith. We'll read it together, uh, article by article. We'll discuss the scriptural truths that it proclaims, and, and we won't do that because we're stodgy, or uh, we're kind of intellectually inclined, or, or old school. Though I think it's kind of cool to be old school. Uh, We're going to do that uh, because we believe that right thinking about God and the Bible will powerfully unite us and protect us against division. Sound doctrine will lead us to sound love. This is also one of the reasons we pray for other local gospel preaching churches in our prayers of petition on Sunday mornings. Many of you have talked to me about that. Uh, The unity of the Spirit is something that's not only true within this local church, but it holds true in our relationships with other local churches that proclaim the same gospel, the same God. We have great love for them. We have great unity with them. And so we pray for great blessing on them as they seek to glorify God. Well, perhaps you're, you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. Uh, maybe a, a friend brought you along uh, Maybe you heard about our church and you decided to give it a go. And if that's you, thank you for being here. We're grateful that you're here. Uh, We hope you feel welcomed. And maybe kind of what I've just said about the truth of God, how we believe in him, how we have unity together, maybe that all sounds a bit, maybe a bit naive. Maybe just a bit, maybe far-fetched. Maybe haughty to think that we know God in a way that other religions don't. And if that's you, or if you can understand that kind of line of thought, uh, let me just be clear and and say that we don't believe these things uh, merely because they make us feel good. So God isn't a crutch for us, uh, a way uh, we find meaning in otherwise kind of meaningless lives. We believe these things about God because he's revealed them to us in his word. We have no hope of finding joy and meaning in ourselves Uh, We need outside intervention. And that's what God has done. Uh, He's reached out to us in his word, and he's reached out to us ultimately in his son, Jesus Christ. He's reached out to us with the good news of the gospel. Uh, The gospel is the news that all human beings are sinners. We have all set ourselves up as God's enemies. We've broken his law, uh, and we deserve his just punishment. But the gospel is also wonderful news that God hasn't left us in that wretched position. Uh, He sent his son to die on the cross, to take the punishment we deserve for breaking his law, to bear God's righteous judgment that we deserve instead of us. So that now if we repent of our sin and turn in faith to Christ and put our trust in what he has done, we will be saved. We'll no longer be God's enemies. Be his children. That's the gospel 
that we see here, and that's the gospel that we proclaim every Sunday, and that's the gospel that we hold out to you if you are yet to trust in Christ. If you repent, if you trust, you will be saved. If you have any questions about that, we'd love to talk with you more. So don't be afraid to come talk to us. We won't, won't try to like forcibly convert you or anything. We want to talk about these things with you. We find great joy in doing that. And so come talk to us. Talk to me. Talk to anybody you've seen up here. We'd love to talk with you more about the gospel and how you can be made right with God. All right, well, that's our first point this morning, the unity of the church. Let's move on then and think briefly about the diversity of the church. So we think about unity. Now we're going to think about diversity. And and we see that beginning in verse 7. Paul says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who has also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the church, says Paul, is united in Christ. But now he's quick to remind us that the church isn't kind of like a bowl of cake mix. Kind of where all the ingredients kind of get mixed together and they just lose their individuality. So we are united, but we're not uniform. Instead, Paul uses a picture of a body. He says the church is like a body. It's like each member, each part of the body working together to build up the health of the whole. Each member is distinct. Each member has been given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. So every Christian has received grace, right? That's what it means to be saved. Paul's getting more specific here, and he's talking about specific grace gifts that Jesus has given to his church. Uh, Diverse gifts for the benefit of the whole. And he references there in verse uh, 8 a quotation from the Old Testament, from Psalm 68. And he applies it to Jesus Christ. Here he's talking about Jesus' triumph over his enemies. He shows how Jesus descended to us in humiliation to death on the cross, verses 9 and 10. That's not where he stayed. He rose again. He ascended to be seated as king over all. He was given all rule and authority. And now in that rule and in that authority, he gives gifts of grace to his church to build us up, to bring glory to himself. So there are other parts or places in the New Testament where we see kind of lists of gifts that Paul talks about, um, Jesus giving to Christians. But here he, he has a specific list for us. So look in verse 11 again. He talks about the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers. He says they're to equip the saints for the work of ministry, building up the body of Christ. So apostles and prophets were important offices, especially in the early days of the church, kind of setting the foundation for the growth of Christ's church. Evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, on the other hand, are especially relevant to us today. Uh, These are Christians uh, that Jesus has given to be particularly effective in sharing the gospel uh, and caring for God's people and teaching his word. 
Those final two, shepherds and teachers, uh, they might make some of us think of the office of elder, right? And if you're thinking that, you're right. Uh, The word teachers there, Paul might also be talking about members who are gifted in teaching but aren't necessarily elders. But especially with that word shepherd, he's talking about elders in the church. Uh, Elders are men who meet certain spiritual qualifications and desire to serve the church by teaching sound doctrine, uh, by protecting the church against false teaching and by caring for its spiritual health. And so Paul says, in part, uh, it's these elders whom Christ has given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And so, Loudoun Valley Baptist Church, as we grow, Lord willing, and more elders come on board to help lead this local church, this is something that should be helpful for us as we pray and as we submit these brothers will have one overarching task. And that is to equip you all, every member of LVBC, to build up this local church. And do you see there how important a role each of you have, members of this church? So the elders are important. They're God's, uh, Jesus' gifts. But the elders do not build up the church on, the, on their own. Uh, the elders equip every single member of the body to build up the church. I mean, we often talk about pastors and, and people of that nature as being called into ministry, right? Uh, but here we see that every Christian is called into ministry. Every Christian is called to the work of building up the body of Christ. And I think, uh, myself included, uh, all too often we look at pastors, we look at teachers, uh, evangelism trainers, small group leaders, and, and we kind of look to them to build up the church, right? To unite us, to bring in converts. And again, those, those church leaders are essential. But, but don't miss what Paul is saying here. Don't miss where he's putting the onus, right? You have a call to ministry, members of Loudoun Valley Baptist Church. It's not negotiable. Uh, You have a responsibility to see that the church and this local church is built up. Don't wait for me to do that. Don't wait for, um, you know, our support from our sending church, our spiritual kind of oversight there at the time to do that. Uh, Don't look to other elders who will come up in our church to do that. Uh, We're here to work along with you, to equip you. And and I, I hope that that leads you to pray for us. So, you, many of you have heard this text before. Uh, the author of Hebrews writes, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Uh, so, church, pray that you would be eager to be equipped. And, and pray for us as we do the equipping. Uh, pray for the future elders of this church. Be diligent in prayer for us as we are for you. All right, well, we've seen the unity of the church, and we've seen briefly the the diversity of the church. With the rest of our time, let's conclude with a final point. And and that's really seeing how the unity of the church and the diversity of the church work together to build up the body of Christ. So, third and final point is the building up of the church. Uh, Paul goes into detail as to how we're called to do this in verse 13. Uh, He says, Jesus has given leaders to the church uh, to equip Christians to build up the body, and then verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, 
to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love. So here Paul uh, uses that picture of a body to help communicate what he's getting at. He says that each Christian is a part of the body of Christ. The church. And he says there that as part of that body, we are ever maturing. Uh, We are ever becoming more like Christ. He says that's our goal, our purpose. It's to grow together, uh, not merely privately, not merely personally, but together as a unified church into a mature body. He He calls it mature manhood, if you think about the church as a body. Growing up into maturity. Uh, We're not to remain infants in the faith. We're not to stunt the growth of the whole. Now, as a church, as a community of Christians, we have a clear responsibility to one another to help us grow up into Christ. Paul says there in verse 14 that as we do that, we will pass out of the childhood stage. Uh, That was a stage where we were kind of tossed to and fro by doctrine, um, by every wind of doctrine, by the waves, he says. So, We will grow in the knowledge of Christ. And so kind of those counterfeit gospels that we hear day to day will begin to to ring less and less true for us. So our experience with the the true God and united in the true God will prove all those other counterfeits to be the fakes that they are. And I think as you think about that, that just makes sense. So I take, for example, uh, suffering. Uh, The sufferings of Christ. So as you think deeply about verse 9, right? How Jesus was humiliated, or in verse 10, uh, how he um, was tempted, he was tried, he submitted to death on the cross. Uh, The more and more you think about that, you'll see all that he did for his Father's glory, that we might be saved. And as you consider that and grow in understanding that together with the church, that will affect the way you think about your suffering and the suffering of the church as a whole. So, join to Christ, you'll understand that you're called, we're called, to suffer like he did. And that means that our suffering will have purpose, it will have meaning, it will be patterned after our Savior. It won't be something we just have to, like, try to get out of. And so, as you grow in understanding that together with the church, well, then the next time you hear on TV or the radio that as we follow Jesus, we should expect... Uh, success and fame and joy and comfort it just won't ring true for you. It, it won't jive with that suffering, beautiful Savior that you've grown to love more and more. That version of the gospel just seems so weak as you behold the glory of the cross. And so we as a church, as we think together, as we have been about maybe our inheritance, right? How the Holy Spirit, like we've just said, is the down payment of our inheritance. Well, then hearing preaching that kind of applies God's blessings to a down payment on a house, right? Or building up our retirement or blessing our bank accounts. It just won't seem so shallow. As we mature in Christ, as we mature with the church, we will not be beckoned by those false gospels and false teachers, We will be growing up in the knowledge of Jesus. 
will not be misled, as Paul says, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So church, our unity, our maturing together with all our different gifts into the fullness of the body of Christ, that's how we're going to persevere to the end. That's how we will endure temptations and trials. So if you're fighting sin on your own, you'll most likely fail. If you're seeking joy on your own, you'll have a hard time finding it. If you're struggling with grief or anxiety by yourself, by yourself, you'll be easily discouraged, I think. The community of the church is what Jesus has given to us and especially designed for us to grow. It's, it's like a greenhouse for our souls. So the ground in the church is continually cultivated by the Word of God and is continually watered by the Spirit of God. And this is where we are meant to grow. This is the best environment for us to grow in. So, Christian, please understand that this passage doesn't have a category for a Christian who does not pursue community with other Christians. Uh, This passage does not have a category for a Christian who kind of hops from church to church to look for what suits them best. Uh, This passage understands that every Christian will grow in maturity together with other Christians. Uh, Every believer will grow under shepherds and under teachers. This is why we take church membership so seriously. So when we're talking about membership, we're not talking about kind of an upper level of engagement, right? Where we'll receive extra, extra perks and rewards, like a, like a Harris Teeter Vic card, right? Or a, or a Starbucks gold card. Those, those are pretty cool. Uh, church membership is a, is a way for us to live out what we're seeing right here in Ephesians. It's a way for us to commit to growing up the body of Christ in its visible local expression here at Loudoun Valley Baptist Church. And so if you're here and, and you claim to be a Christian, I would urge you to commit to a local congregation where you can carry out what Paul is exhorting us to. It doesn't have to be here. We don't have any pretenses to think that we're the only healthy church within even 10 miles. I could recommend five or so churches within 10 miles easily off the top of my head for you. But Christian, for the good of your soul, find a church. It doesn't make any sense biblically to be a Christian, but not to be an active part of a congregation. As one pastor recently said, that's like a wife asking if she has to live with her husband. The individual Christian is not the body of Christ. The church united is the body of Christ. So seek out community with other Christians. As I was studying this passage this past week, I thought of you college students, right? So... You're here for several years temporarily. Uh, Many of you have churches back home that you're committed to or you've grown up in. And so it may seem unimportant to join a church while you're here. Uh, You have that back home. You have Christian community, maybe a Christian accountability with other students. That's really great. Uh, Use that. But then consider Paul's teaching here. He says the way we are to grow up in our faith is as a community of believers equipped by evangelists and shepherds and teachers as a community that builds itself up in Christ. So I encourage you, uh, part of the way you will remain faithful to Christ and grow up as a Christian during these four years of your life is to join a local church. And, And that's not only so that you will grow. It's so that we will grow. I mean, you actually have gifts that will benefit us. Will benefit other gospel preaching churches should you choose to join them. 
It's not just about how we can serve you. It's about how your ministry will build us up. And really for all of us who are Christians, this is a great reminder. Especially for those who are members of this church. Paul says there that Christ is the head. He's joined every other Christian together in his body. And and then look again at verses 15 and 16. He says that, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So if you're a Christian, Jesus' plan for you is that you will contribute to the growth of his church. That means that your walk with God, your personal commitment to holiness and to becoming more like Jesus, that will affect every other member of the church. And that, that's really cool and that's great, but I think it's actually kind of sobering. And that means that our struggles with sin will never be finally secret or contained. They will always affect the health of the church as a whole. The maturity of Loudoun Valley Baptist Church will involve the maturity of every single member of it. And that's why we covenant together to watch over one another as members, to care for one another. We need that. We need each other to be in our lives, to keep us from being hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Our spiritual maturity, both as individuals and as a church, will thrive as we live together in community. So, brother or sister, if you're, if you're nursing a sin, or if you're fighting a sin, whatever the struggle may be, maybe, maybe it's a struggle with contentment, with being content with where you are in life, with what God has given you or what he has not given you. Maybe it's uh, being controlled by what other people think of you. And just kind of doing all you can to make sure parents or or children or friends think well of you. Maybe it's maybe a, a laziness in responding to the commands of Christ and, and sharing the gospel and loving others. Maybe it's a, an addiction or a secret struggle that you're ashamed to even bring to the light with one other person. Whatever it is that is kind of threatening your joy and your spiritual maturity and health as a Christian, that's something you should seek to work out in the context of the life of the church. I can hear uh, some of you saying right now, well, that's not fun for my personality. So by temperament, I'm reserved. I prefer to work things out on my own. And listen, I get that. So opening yourself up to the gaze of other people is super scary. But I encourage you to instead see fighting your sin on your own as even super scarier. To see your sin as a serious thing that it is and to risk talking to someone else about it, someone you trust in the church. I mean, by doing that, you might feel like you're just bringing up dirt that's going to hurt the church, but you're going to be building up the body here. Trust that. Well, we should conclude. I feel like we just kind of touched the surface of this passage. Uh, This is deep stuff. Uh, Paul has turned from his teaching to instructions on how to live in light of the teaching. And he kind of does it with a bang. So he gives us this wonderful call to live together as we mature in Christ. And, And it may seem like we've kind of been drinking from a fire hose this morning. And it's hard to take one or two things away. 
besides kind of an overwhelming sense of the importance of the church, which I think you, I hope you have. And if that's you, let me just leave us with a kind of a simple takeaway as we wrap up our time together. Maybe a way that you can apply this this week. Paul says that the way we're to grow is in truth and love. And actually, kind of his original uh, language there doesn't say speaking the truth in love. It says truthing in love. So it means living in love. It means speaking, yes. It means living, yes. It means doing. Our whole lives are to be made up of living in truth and love. That's really the theme of this entire passage. So as we're passionate, or want to be passionate, about maintaining and cultivating the unity of this church, we're going to do that in truth and love. So this week, maybe pray in those two categories. For yourself and for the church. Pray that you'd be able to interact with and develop relationships with others in this church that are kind of characterized by those two things. Truth and love. Pray for a a greater understanding of the truth. How it should impact your life and the lives of those around you. Seek to to think and to, to ask for wisdom about how to apply the gospel to your struggles and to those who are sharing their struggles with you. Truth. And then pray also for a greater understanding of the love that we have in Christ. And as a result, the love we have for each other. Be humbled as you see how the cross of Christ has reconciled you to your brothers and sisters. And seek to care for them in that light. Love. This is the first half of Ephesians 4. And it, it gives us our job description as a church, I think. Maturing together into the fullness of Christ. So, Loudon Valley Baptist Church, let's press into that. In the way that we speak, in the way we serve, in the way we endure suffering, in the way we point one another to the hope that will never be shaken. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would mature us You would unite us in Christ. Help us to walk humbly with one another. Help us to be gentle and patient and loving. Give us grace to bear with one another, to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Lord, we earnestly want to proclaim your glory in the way that we live with each other, but we are weak. We are in need of you. So, Spirit, give us strength. Jesus, we praise you for saving us. Father, we give you all glory for loving us enough to plan to send your Son so that we might be redeemed. So help us to seek you, our unified God, together as a unified church for your glory and for our great joy. In Jesus' name, amen.